Welcome to Subway Tours. We like movies. We are your hosts. I'm Nisha. I'm MJ. And I'm Anjo. And today we are going out into space with a movie that takes place in a galaxy far, far away. Huh? Wrong franchise. Look, there's a big sand planet, an evil emperor, giant sandworms, oh, a chosen true. one who has mysterious undefined powers. Right. Star Trek. Fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're doing Dune 2021! Over the course of this episode, we will see if the director of Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, Denis Villeneuve, was yeah. able to stick the landing on this much-awaited sci-fi adaptation. And roll the music. So today we are talking about Dune, the epic adaptation from director Danny Villeneuve of the 1965 sci-fi novel by Frank Herbert. And it is something that's been a long time coming. It's not the first time that this has been on the big screen. The previous adaptation was actually by David Lynch back in 1984. It had Sting in a very, very uncomfortable looking leather metal bikini thing and wow. Patrick Stewart with hair and... A lot of things that were unsightly. It was very confusing. It made no yeah. sense. I have not seen it, so I'm going to be giving the perspective of just someone who's seen the 2021 one. I've attempted to watch that movie for, I don't know, I think I've tried it for like three times now. And I've, mm -hmm. every single time I would fall asleep. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just a it's convoluted right. mess. It was, it was very convoluted. And they tried to compress way too much into the two-hour mm -hmm. time. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're also not going to talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's attempt of doing a mini-series based on this. So let's see um, what Dune superfan Denny Villeneuve cooked up for us here. What did you guys think about the movie? Pretty epic. I, I really liked it. Just uh, off the bat, I really enjoyed it. Epic is yeah. a mm -hmm. good word to sum it up. And in the recent years, actually, that I've seen uh, Villeneuve's work is that he does so well in building all these sci-fi universes. And I think it's really good for him to actually start one of his own. Not his own own, but, you know, at least for the modern visual and sensibility his and the modern audience. He can finally create something, start it from scratch on his way. As opposed to Blade Runner 2049, another uh, his last work that I really enjoyed too. That was actually a sequel to the original back then. So yeah, now he's starting fresh. Not It's not a part two. So you could really see his love for sci-fi. And uh, that showed. That really showed. Somebody actually made a joke online that I saw saying that uh, Danny Villeneuve can actually just make a ongoing career of taking cult movies from the 80s and making hundred million dollar adaptations of them and we would oh, all yeah. be there for it oh yeah yeah i'd be there for I it i think totally. that i think that's fairly accurate <laughs> yeah i mean like okay it's it's one thing to do a blade runner movie because you know like that's freaking blade runner yeah i mean like it's another thing to do dune because i mean like if you've seen the book if you've seen how thick the book is and if you've read like <laughs> read through it I'm like, not even, even like try. a few parts of it. You know how dense the lore is. Like, like I've been wanting to read that book a long time now, but every time, every single time I try to browse <laughs> through it, it just intimidates me just because of the sheer, sheer amount of politics you'd have to get through your skull just to understand everything that's happening in the book. And I think this is what Denis Villeneuve did really well was that he kind of streamlined it just enough, well enough for you know for somebody who doesn't even doesn't even have an interest in sci-fi understand it because that's what my my wife said she enjoyed the movie and like knowing the source material it came from you know like that's 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 pretty big for for her to say that she enjoyed the movie because it was compared to other sci-fi movies quote unquote like this one was mostly talking it was mostly politics and you know mm -hmm. i was actually worried at the start because this is a this is a this is a whole new world. A whole new world. Never mind. Anyway, sorry. Yes, my leg. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got Risha to sing. <laughs> you suck. So, um, this is my first time to be introduced to this world since I haven't seen the last attempts at making movies. I haven't read the book at all, so this was completely fresh for me. 
And that's what worries me all the time for something that I'm getting introduced to. If it's way too slow or information heavy that I'm just going to feel that, especially with all these um, otherworldly names and places, it's usually going to make me feel super overwhelmed. But that didn't make me feel super overwhelmed. I think it's just right to actually introduce me to whole to this new setting and everything. So, yeah, not bad. I didn't enjoy myself. What? Why? I didn't wow. enjoy myself. Why? <laughs> Why? Huh? I don't know. I've been talking with a few people and it just didn't hit me the same way. I don't know if I was in a bad mood or if I was tired. I don't think I was. I mean, I, I was awake for it. I was excited for it. But I don't know. It just, I found it exactly what Andrew said about the book. I found it overly dense and somewhat plodding and I, you know, it was very user unfriendly. And for me, you know, if I didn't already know the plot going in, I probably would have lost it halfway through. But that, that that's me. That, that I, I appear to be in the minority. I, Warner Brothers just greenlit the second movie. So, you know. Yes. I, I have a theory, though, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's like Blade Runner 2049 or Gravity. You know, these are movies that I adored when they were on the big screen, but you know, mm. I have difficulty sitting through when it's on TV. Mm. I understand. It just hit me completely differently, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I get I it. Totally I totally get it. Because it. totally it, it's it. so hard for me to watch Blade Runner on the TV. Like, yeah. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. It's a gorgeous movie. This movie, Dune, and Blade Runner 2049, oh, yeah. they're absolutely gorgeous. No question. The production design is top-notch. The cast is amazing. The costumes look fantastic. The sets are brilliant. The blend of practical and CGI is amazing. But, you know, I just couldn't get into it. And I realized that the biggest arguments I have with people who like it are like the ones who saw it like on the IMAX in the States or who saw it on, on, in, in cinemas, you know? Because they were able really to experience kind of it the way, the way that it was intended. I don't know if that makes sense. So maybe I have well... some inherent resentment that I couldn't <laughs> see it that way. To be fair, you might have a point because I watched it on our big TV and mm -hmm. in the dark. Oh, damn. So I... Saw but was your was your uh, screen thirteen inches or fifty two inches? <laughs> I, I know where you're coming from because that's exactly what my wife said because she couldn't appreciate. He, she said she would appreciate it more if she saw it inside the inside the theater. And that's actually something that I I personally felt. I mean, it does a fantastic job of world building. I mean, make no mistake, you're fully immersed. You know, you feel it. You know what they're fighting over. You know that you know what the stakes are more or less. I mean, you don't know what the overall scheme or, 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 or plot is of the bad guys, but you know, that's what part two is for. But overall, and you know, you could shoot me for saying this, um, for me personally, it does such a fantastic job of adapting the book. It does less of a fantastic job being introductory movie compared to hmm. something like The Fellowship of the Ring, which just oh, sucks that's, you in from the get-go. It's so hard to compare it to that, though, because no, that's on about, another level. I, I know, but think about it. Peter Jackson spent years of his life the same way that Denny Villeneuve spent years of his life because he's been a fan of this book the same way Jackson has been a fan since they were children, okay? And Jackson spent years trying to figure out how to adapt it for the screen versus Denis Villeneuve I think it was less about adapting it for the screen so much as how much of the book can I cram in there that 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 that, that that's mm -hmm. how it hit me so I had to be dragged kicking and screaming well, into Fellowship of the Ring but this movie I was excited to see uh, I, I don't you. know I no, think yeah, maybe it's me. <laughs> I'm just it's, kidding no it's it's you it's not I'm you just, it's me no I don't, I don't I don't know like I'm trying to justify it in such a way that because comparing both books, there was so much more politics you'd have to deal with. So probably mm -hmm. there's really this this level of literature you'd have to get through your your head. Compared to what The Lord of the Rings was, which was set up to be an epic quest from the get-go. If Dune, you read if, all know. the appendices and all the other things that Jackson was working with, Lord of the Rings can also be impossibly dense, honestly. Oh yeah, but definitely. He knew what to keep and what not to keep to keep it interesting and to suck you in. 
he didn't start you off with an overload in the first 30 minutes. No, I don't know. I like I didn't it didn't really feel like an overload because right from the get-go you knew what was going to happen. Like there's a power struggle, you know, you know, it's basically you know, if you're going to put it for something that's more relatable, basically two countries fighting over territory because of its resources. Mm-hmm. Sounds very familiar. So, uh, <laughs> so hmm, so it's basically that, but only this time you have two houses like Game of Thrones and you know you have that one house that wants Right. You, you know, but again, wants control what, over it. But, but like it, what I was saying earlier, think back to the pilot of Game of Thrones and how you it made you fall in love with the characters so that when the dense stuff happened, you were along for the ride already. This one gives you no such buffer. It spends more time on the world building than the character building. That's what I was going to say, actually. If you want that's, to compare the two, true. it's a different approach per director. So Peter mm-hmm. Jackson mm-hmm. went into it, making you fall in love with the characters first, showing their charms, their relationships. Right. Meanwhile, Villeneuve really just set focused it on the world itself and mm-hmm. not so much on the emotionality and the relationships of the characters. They did have mm-hmm. it. A but little it bit. just wasn't just that. A little bit. It just wasn't that warm and fluffy as you know the start of the, the Fellowship of the Ring because uh, that gave you like the warm fuzzies already. But this world is much colder. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not uh, the Shire. You know what I mean? It's not coming from a warm place because this is already a dystopian future. So I mm-hmm. feel like it's also a different approach in a way. Yeah, but if if there's something that Lord of the Rings has over this, it's like you fall in love with the characters right away. Yep. Here, everybody's just brooding. Everybody's problematic. I don't mind brooding. I don't mind problematic. I don't. I don't even mind the dystopian part. It's just that I wanted to know why I should care. It all looks amazing, but because you put the cart before the horse, it it just left me discombobulated. But it's all good. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the political struggle, Anjo. You want to just give us a rundown of the plot? Well, basically, House uh, Harkonnen controls um, Arrakis, which is you know we'll just call it Dune because it, you know it's a planet <laughs> full of sand dunes. Because <laughs> in Dune, lahat ng problema, you oh, know. So right. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So um, so yeah, you have House Harkonnen who controls basically controls Arrakis, and then you have House Atreides who's been appointed by the emperor of galaxy or whatever uh, to take control of of Arrakis from Harkonnen. Of course, Harkonnen being a powerful house does not want to lose control of Dune because it has one of the biggest resources of said universe called Spice. Now, all these all, all, all of these things happen because the emperor is, does not want House Atreides to grow more powerful. And of course, you know why Harkonnen does not want to let go of something so valuable. Uh, so... There, the, all the political struggles are there in place. You know, the scaffolding and whatever, the groundwork they did for all the political issues are in place. So basically, everything that happens next is a power struggle to take control over um, Arrakis. I was going to say that, you know, you left out the part where their main protagonist is actually the son of House Atreides, who uh, is Paul, yeah. Paul. Played by Timothy Chalamet. And he is the latest in a long line of chosen ones who will lead this planet to salvation or destroyed forever, whichever way the sequel goes. I'm not going to spoil that here. Um, Don't spoil it. His father is played by Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Yet another fixture from another sci-fi <laughs> sci-fi franchise. And his mother, Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson. Ferguson, from Mission Impossible, <laughs> <laughs> has her own agenda. Because she's part of, you know, an intergalactic sisterhood that has been trying The Jedi. For... Uh, sorry, wrong, wrong franchise. I know yes, the Jedi. That have been trying <laughs> for generations to craft genetically their perfect chosen one. And then you have, you know, Paul's buddy, um, Duncan Idaho, who has the best... Jason Momoa! Aquaman! Movie. Yes, Aquaman <laughs> plays J- Duncan Idaho, who has possibly my favorite name in this entire franchise just Actually, because of how out of place it is i know yeah. suddenly you have idaho a very mm-hmm. huge <laughs> i know very, uh, okay cool no, i mean like think about he, it he the whole sorry good for you um <laughs> on that planet on arrakis you also have the indigenous people um who are led by javier bardem 
I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I'm not going to try it. When you see him, it's just Javier Bardem. And, uh, you know, one of them is also played by Zendaya from Spider-Man. And they are the only people who can survive in the desert because they are wearing basically portable, um, well, they're called still suits, but, you know, they're basically walking filtration systems that let you recycle all your poop and your pee so you don't die in the desert. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. drink them again. Mm. <laughs> Yummy. Science. Bear Grylls would be proud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, while all the superpowers are fighting over Dune's infinite supply of spice, which powers both their hallucinogenic episodes and their spaceships, um, Mm -hmm. their navigators. So you have to get super high to drive a spaceship properly, it seems. Nice. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants in on this. Because they literally get get high, you know, you fly these... She's on a high, high, high above. I was going to sing Spice Up Your Life. Anyway, moving on. In training Paul, we have Thanos himself. Oh my god, he's not purple. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) We have Josh Brolin showing him the ropes. And I think that's about it. Basically, this cast is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The head of House Harkonnen is, of course, Stellan Skarsgård, who you may remember. Can I just say something about Stellan Skarsgård? Why yes. does he get naked in every freaking movie? Like, well, seriously, he's naked he... here. He's naked in Thor. I'm wait, pretty sure what, I saw what, his butt wait, in Mamma Mia. Wait, wait. He was naked in Thor? The second one. Yes. Yes. The one that everyone oh, wants yeah. to forget. That's yes. why I forgot. That's why I forgot. Unfortunately, the forces are led by Batista. Oh, yeah. Drax. Mm-hmm. Wow, he was very. There's so Drax many superheroes too. in this movie. Can I just say he was still very Drax to me? He was super Drax. <laughs> Only Dude, that it's, he it's, it's it's David it's Dave Batista. I mean, like he plays Dave Batista in every single movie that he's in. And this is the guy who refuses to star in a movie with another wrestler because he wants to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, because he has such yeah. range. Oh my god, he's gonna come to my house and he's gonna murder me and you're all gonna read about it in the papers. He's gonna he's, he's gonna, gonna tear you apart with his bare hands. Or he's oh, gonna definitely. leave me escaping. Okay. So we've agreed that this thing is huge, epic, sprawling, looks fucking amazing. What did you think of Danny Villeneuve's direction? What did you think about his treatment? It's very sandy. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I think the way that the the movie was portrayed was, I mean, like you're correct. You're, I can't agree with you more about this movie spending two thirds of its runtime world building because that's true. Like reading portions of the book, you know, trying to understand or if you know, trying to see if I could actually stomach going through the entire thing. There's just really so much material he had to go through. So I think two thirds of the runtime trying to, you know, get familiar with how the rules worked in that universe. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it was fine because it explains itself well. The setting of, uh, the the setting and the situation the characters are in are perfect. You know, you have the heir to the throne, apparent quote unquote throne, or the chosen one. <laughs> This movie needed a one boob lady. Yeah, Mm. maybe. Well, three boob lady would have been better because that would have fit Blade Runner. Oh, wait, that's Total Recall. My bad. Yes, it is. Moving on, moving on. Well, me personally, since again, I I did not have any references to this without the book and everything. Um, I thought I was going to be overwhelmed knowing how much lore it actually has without really reading any of it or watching any of it but i think it is a lot of setup in the start because you you get set up to the whole the whole politics how the family works the then the dynamic everybody else serving under the duke all the all the right hand men and everything Mm -hmm. i thought that would get overwhelming but the shots are just like so damn pretty that like no matter how serious and humorless this world seems to be at least it's fucking pretty to look at. And that's what sucked me in, honestly. So at least it has that factor to keep your attention despite the information overload that is attacking your brain currently. Yeah, I agree with that too. And like, it, 
it has the same vibe as Blade Runner 2049, honestly, because it's also very sci-fi. It has also this dark contrast, you know, all these amazing costumes of the people in this, in maybe in the army or maybe people in the in, in the council and everything. It's so streamlined, so very sci-fi. So I think that we're seeing what he's really good at, sci-fi, and he's just working it. But despite all the coldness how ironic because we're talking about the desert it was pretty cold (laughs) treatment wise but that's his thing i guess if there was this one huge gripe i had with the movie is that i think the entire plot picks up like the last 30 minutes 45 minutes i think i was like oh so this is where the plot picks up. Great. Yeah, actually, everything uh, the first the first two thirds of the movie are incredibly slow. But when you Super. get to the last last third, it's like bam, things are happening. Here you yeah. go. We're getting the it, fights. It, we're getting the the chases and stuff. So it's yeah. kind of like a Chuck Palahniuk book where you know, like you're overloaded with so much information, and then nothing's happening until the climax happens. It just doesn't stop until it does. That that's that's what the last last 45 minutes were and like, i guess oh, okay. after you after you see it you know it's being set up for a sequel because it's like no way is everything absolutely gonna happen in this last third so that's what like, that's exactly what happened it's like oh yep. okay yeah i guess there's a sequel to this for me okay th- and again this is just me right um what i was saying earlier about the whole world building thing and the characters being sidelined for a big part of it I don't need them necessarily be to necessarily to be as lovable per se as let's say the hobbits but this movie in a lot of ways reminded me of the first Harry Potter wherein it's a great translation of what's on the page but it just rubbed me the wrong way as an adaptation because they're more concerned about getting the words onto the screen than they were about what the audience might need to keep them sustained mm-hmm. that's why I enjoyed like the even the second and third Harry Potter so much more because they felt more room to play because they already laid down the foundation. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. Yeah, I think it really is just a gigantic setup for the sequel. That's mm-hmm. what I feel. And, yeah, that's and it. And the cool thing about and the thing about Danny Villeneuve is that he didn't feel the need to make it accessible necessarily. He decided that he was going to make the best damn Doom translation. Best what he to. saw in his head, from what he grew up on, from what he read on those pages. And uh, fine, kudos to him. He, he actually did it. And what you were saying about Blade Runner, yes, Blade Runner is a slow burn also. Incredible film, uh, by the way. But um, what helps you get through the first third, first two thirds of that, because uh, like you said, it's really slow, Blade Runner, was that you already had a preconceived notion or some affinity for what's going on because you had the first film mm-hmm. as context this one does not yeah. so that's what made it a bit harder to take in um, from my point of view but also yes i think i really should have seen it on a big screen mm-hmm. yeah that, it, that's the that's really like one of the biggest uncontrollable things we couldn't mm. we couldn't deal we could you know we, we had to deal with like oh not being able to go to cinemas that is true so, that is true that's why i'm just so glad that you know they, that they put it out on HBO's apps but you know um, for everybody who is going to take the time to go out to the cinemas to see this um, please let us let us know how it hits yeah. you because I would love, love to know just stay safe and wear a mask and make sure you're vaccinated Ding. yes and if you see more than five people in the theaters get out <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, get can, out can now can I just say something that's, that's bizarre <laughs> to me you know in a world of intergalactic travel and Spice and Atreides. Oh my god, this is exactly reminding me of the Spice Girls video. I'm sorry. (laughs) Spice Up Your Life also had a very futuristic music video. Just saying. Yeah, they they had hoverboards. (laughs) They had hoverboards. They had a spaceship. I know, that's why it's perfect. That's the perfect soundtrack. I wish it played at the end credits. (laughs) Oh my god. Yes. Timothy Chalamet with his amazing cheekbones can announce oh. people of the world. Oh. <laughs> spice Beautiful. up your life! Every boy and every girl, spice up your life! Face of an angel. Anyway. <laughs> All right. We've been through the crazy cast and their amazing names and the inexplicably named Duncan Idaho. <laughs> 
tell me about the characters, guys. Tell me about the actors. What do you like? Are we gonna transition <laughs> into a thirst portion? Yeah, this counts as a thirst yeah. portion, okay. I think. MJ, let's go. <laughs> you have the floor. Not only were the shots beautiful, but the yeah, actors, okay. my goodness. <laughs> my, my goodness. goodness. Oh my god. And it makes sense this is all set in the desert because it made me thirsty. <laughs> you needed one of the still suits, you know. Okay, seriously though. Amazing cast. Oh my god, I can I'm I'm not just gonna be biased towards the men, okay? Rebecca Ferguson. That face. Yeah. She's so beautiful. And it just totally makes sense to have her as uh Timothy Chalamet's mother. I don't know why. They I, they just like look so good as a mother son. They just look yeah, they look just at his jawline. You he sliced her on the way out of her womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's an amazing jawline. But okay, Oscar Isaac, he actually surprised me here because the last sci-fi movie we've seen him in, aka Star Wars, he was a totally different character. Here right. he's respectable, he is a he's leader. He's Ned Stark. He was. Yes. <laughs> yes, he's basically Just, Ned Stark. And well, he he plays Poe, right? And in in uh mm-hmm. in Star Wars. And he's totally different there. He's cocky, he's, he's charismatic. Rash. Yes, exactly. On solo light. But here you see he's you see him with authority. And I also like that he has a soft spot for his son. That's that, that's adorable too. So I who, like the whole little family dynamic there. And uh, am I still thirsting? Okay, Jason Momoa. Here <laughs> I'm we. Just gonna, go. It's gonna go on and on, right? Um, although he still is a very action star, you know, charming as he usually is. Duncan it jarred. Idaho. Yeah, it jarred me a little bit how he shaves in the middle of the movie. <laughs> it's like, ha! He doesn't have facial hair. Mm. I know, because you you first see him coming from like this this expedition, and he's all facial haired up, and then later on he's like, ah, he shaved. Okay. Facial hair dub. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, he still looks real good. I mean, it's I'd, I'd, I'd see why. You get home, you shave. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you've been out in the desert for weeks. Why not? I'm going to shave. So, yeah. Okay. Getting uh, high, hanging with the natives. Calabunga, dude. Anyway. <laughs> He's the uh, surfer guy, I swear. <laughs> He's space surfer guy. Yeah, but uh, I'll stop my thirst portion now. I'm good. I thought you'd go Josh, to Josh Brolin. I know. Okay, yeah, there you go. Remind. Thanks for reminding me. He is the weapons expert, and mm-hmm. I, I love this little training mon. Uh, not it wasn't montage, but it, I like this whole part where he was training Timothy Chalamet and everything. It's pretty cool. Right, right. Because they got the same technology as basically fucking Jar Jar Binks from Episode One, where if you mm-hmm. go too fast. The force field stops you, so bullets and lasers are useless, so you gotta go in slow. Hit him with a sword, hit him with a knife. Yeah, that was cool. I'm done thirsting now, thank you. Are you? Are you really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I... You sure? We didn't see much of her, to be honest. Well, we did, but, you know, not much of her acting. It's just, like, usually these dreamy, angelic shots. Right. She was, like, yeah. the perfume commercial portion of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's I need true. To but thank she was Deng for that one because it's just so fucking true. It really yeah, would become it a perfume is. commercial. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and that, anything that, with Zendaya like, in, in this movie, it's like, you know, a fashion film. It's like Ooh. 90% of everything she's in it was exactly like a perfume commercial. Mm. And not complaining. Yep. She looks beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it, it's it's funny because she's the one who's, who brings us and introduces us into the world of Arrakis. Because she was the one narrating in the beginning, telling mm. us, setting up the whole thing of what the conflict is, mm-hmm. like, of what the conflict is in Arrakis. Is. That's a, that was a mouthful. No, it's anyway. okay. Basically, you got your, you know, white people, first worlders who go to the third world to exploit its natural resources, not giving the natives any choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. And yes. eventually, one of them decides to play white savior because he sees the error of his ways and he needs to partner up with these poor, 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 downtrodden yes. natives to fight back the superior forces. Mm-hmm. This is True. literally a movie we've seen a lot, but... No, but- um, the treatment here is so very different in that um, they put a sci-fi spin on it. Mm-hmm. Something that's not as, well, you know, lazy as, let's say, Avatar. 
Um, oh god. In this case, again, the world building is incredible, and the director Denis Villeneuve is at the height of his powers. Yes. Something we've seen that before is... in films like Arrival, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Sicario. Oh, this guy Sicario! Really knows oh, his way around a movie. Yes, yes, I enjoy it. In fact, I mean, um, I, I, the only thing that could possibly make it better is if we had Deacons on cinematography. Honestly, that is my only gripe with this. Okay, it looks amazing. I, it, it already does look amazing. I, I mean, Villeneuve already has this sensibility, this style. But could you imagine it with the lighting contrast? And all the beautiful framing and just like, oh my god, Roger Deakins. I'm you know I'm a fangirl. I'm a huge Roger Deakins fangirl. But coming in, knowing that it wasn't Deakins, just already gave wow. me a minus one. The, the I mean, prejudice. What the hell? No, no, no. I mean it's like, uh, is this gonna be as epic as I hope it would be? Well, I hope to be proven wrong going into this, but you know, when you've already seen the height of the visuals that the tandem of Villeneuve and Deacons can achieve, mm-hmm. it's like, this could have been so much more epic! <laughs> I'm so sorry, no shade to the cinematographer of this, but you know, it's just that Roger Deacons is really just another level. I don't know why he wasn't, maybe he wasn't available, Probably. then that's okay, then there's nothing we can do about it. Not that my opinion matters anyway. I don't but... know, you don't sound convinced. I mean, but but Greg Greg Fraser isn't a slouch though in terms of cinematography. No, I'm wasn't not that... say, I'm not saying Tem- he yeah. is. I'm not saying yeah. that he is. But it's just like you just know how much better it could be with Deacon since you've seen Sicario, you've seen yeah, Blade yeah. Runner twenty forty nine, and maybe other Deacon's lensed work, even not necessarily with Villeneuve. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you've already seen that tandem, so it's like let me compare it to like. If you've seen a Wonka Y film lensed by Christopher Doyle already, and then you see the works after that, it's not as pretty. It's still great, but it's not as pretty. That's how I. That's how I thought about it. I get it. I get it. I get that it. Makes sense. That makes. Sense. That makes sense. It, it, it makes sense. Especially since the last thing I saw of Deacon was nineteen seventeen in the cinema. Actually, one of the last films I saw in the cinema. And... I think that was the last and, one I saw. And you, you, you know how good. Roger Deacon's lighting is the last mm. Villeneuve film I watched was Blade Runner twenty forty nine and I completely forgot who I watched it with. <laughs> you saw it with me. <laughs> <laughs> what the actual shit? <laughs> Misha, so Misha, Misha, Misha. I was right there. Misha, what? Misha, what? Paperweight kalampale. <laughs> Hell, I was just a seat filler. <laughs> so, so it was you whose arm I was slapping and being like, Yeah. Well, I sure hope it was you one. knew you knew the person whose arm you were slapping. I am also the one who told you to watch the first one first. So you have contact. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You don't sound sorry. I love you. <laughs> Not as much as I thought, but okay. <laughs> Before I hurt Misha's feelings even more, <laughs> let's move on. What are some of your favorite sequences in this thing? Because again, it's a film full of big epic moments and, you know, that, that, that's, okay, again, that's on me. It's got big epic moments and entire stretches of just silence. So, what did you like? What are your favorite bits? All right, coming from somebody who's played the game and you know seen parts of the first the movie. There was, was a game. Classic. Oh my there god, was it was game? so fun. That, yes. the, the game was the introduction. Was the, my introduction to yes. the world of Dune. So yes, that um, game bit, is a classic. Yeah. So um, play, having have played the game and having seen the first movie, the one thing I was waiting for was how Villeneuve would depict the sandworm. Because, you know, in the game, it's just, oh, it's there, shit. I have to get my troops out of the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the it, first movie, when I saw it, I was like, oh, it looks like a giant dick. <laughs> huh. Looks like a giant dick that expands oh. into a three-pronged vagina. Th- that, that's very, that's, yeah, that's it why it like- was scary. Because it looked like a giant dick. You should have seen the, the, the toys they manufactured afterwards. Like, Were you oh, looking at toys or just toys? The, the Dune toys, the Dune toys. 
You sure? My God. No judgments, man. You know. Okay. Oh my God. We're not king shaming. You, you know, back in, back, like. back okay. in the 80s, you, we, they all, they Your all wanted to. Your parents let you have a dildo? No. I, dude, I, I, I wasn't born when you were born. Fuck off. Oh, shit. Anyway. I love you, Tomisha. You're not just, you know, a seat warmer. This episode sucks. <laughs> no, but, I mean, really? like, that, that fucking that fucking scene when the the sandworm first came out, you know, they built up so much tension, right. and you knew it was freaking scary. Right. Now it, it looks it, like a giant space anus. Well, fuck you, man. That's just not scary anymore. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's a giant worm with a butthole on the end. No, but now. it's just the, the teeth are kind of scary. You know, it's like the teeth of a gigantic whale that looks like more like hair rather than teeth, and then you see the sharp fangs afterwards, and it could fucking swallow up, you know, a huge tank or whatever you know that that dune harvester that's that yeah that spice harvester there you go mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. trying to look for that word spice up your life. Uh, I, I, I think it was also so Perfect. more subtle the way villeneuve did it you know much in the same way that spielberg did with jaws where less is working because he didn't really show the worm that's too true. much actually so, you know, Good not point. like yeah. in the first Doom movie, he had it jumping up and down. You know, David Lynch had it jumping up and, <laughs> and down the b- sand. And before that, he'd have like lightning sparkles hit, lightning cracks hit to announce that the thing was on its way. Here, right. this, it's like this the T-Rex. Was... You feel it more than you see it. Yeah, I get yeah, what you're so, so this is where I thought that, you know, it was such an understated thing. It was very subtle how he did it. And, you know, it was pretty horrific how he depicted the sandworm. But, you know, come having, have been, having have been exposed to the game... In the old movie, like this is one of the things that I was really looking forward to was seeing the sandworm, and then of course the fight scenes. You know, mm-hmm. like we've we've seen that the stupid fight scenes in the the sci-fi miniseries and you know the 1984 movie. It was just like too strange. But you know, how, maybe it's because of the limitations of CG back then or practical effects. But well, that was sad. A few, but really, a few good. things that I, that I enjoyed the most. How about you, MJ? What are what are some of your uh, favorite bits from the movie? Actually, um, also going back to the sandworms, I really like the sequence where um, they were they were there in the desert and they were going to save the spice harvesters. It's mm-hmm. your first real look into this menacing sandworm, and it also gave me a really good glimpse of how. Um, the Duke's leadership goes because I really liked how oh, yeah. he he was very decisive in really prioritizing saving lives over no matter how precious spice is and how hard it is to get he definitely prioritized people's lives over it and I really I really uh that that really touched me and also seeing Timothy Chalamet or Paul actually go down in action also trying to save people that was pretty cool and then and he had this episode. Yeah, yeah, and like that—that—that that, that, that was that was super that was super tense for me, and just to see yeah. the sheer destruction it left afterwards, that was pretty mm-hmm. cool for me. That's when things mm-hmm. started picking up. Finally, yeah. finally. Like, <laughs> like, like, like in any sci-fi movie, like there are the few things that I look forward to, apart from these things, like the creatures, or of course the designs of the ships mm-hmm. or the vehicles. Like in this case, they had their freaking helicopters. That looked like dragonflies. Ooh, the, I, I thought that cool. was pretty They're cool. Ornithopters. Yeah. Yes. Ornithopters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, ornithopters. Mm-hmm. Sounds weird. <laughs> but they look cool. Especially when they had those wings flutter. Oh, dragonflies. I like the bit where Paul is tested at the very beginning of the film because they What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> He's got to do this thing where he sticks his hand in a box like 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 those crazy arcade I was going to sing a lonely before. island song. Or like one of those those games and variety shows that guess what's inside. Mm-hmm. So he's got to <laughs> stick his hand in the box and then he's basically subject to intense pain. And the test is to see if he'll go with his animalistic instincts and pull back or if his humanity will win out and he keeps his hand in the box. And I thought that was a very, very great sequence because at mm-hmm. this point, we don't know much about him. We don't know much about his family. We don't know, but we get to see what kind of a person he is. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the thing is, like, 
back in the old one, it was Kyle MacLachlan. Oh my God, who played uh, Paul? And I think the only thing they have in common is the hair at this point, because <laughs> you don't have them cheekbones. And not he, not even the hair, I think. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say that Chalamet plays it a lot more subdued. Um, MacLachlan, he was like in his first movie back then, and. Um, he was, uh, I don't know. He was just trying to figure out what to do with it. I think he was also confused. because I'm sorry, this, the 84 movie, if you watch it again, like it seems like everybody is overacting. Everybody's freaking if... overacting because they had no idea what's yeah. going on because the script yep. was being rewritten every day. They didn't know if they could pull off the sequences. They didn't know if they get a sequel. So, yeah, so bro, that, that movie's a mess. Like David Lynch still denies it exists to this day. <laughs> well, thanks to, you know, thanks to a lot of, videos saying youtube videos saying that you know david lynch did a 1984 movie and having <laughs> this new movie produced nobody you know yeah, no it can't be helped you, no you one's gonna forget that you made the, you made that movie you made that mess of a movie yeah he did yes and sting in his metallic underpants oh my God. who was sting no. supposed to be uh, if he plays a uh, harkonnen nephew he's not actually in this one in this version oh, okay yeah, yeah. it's kind of one of those images you kind of want to forget but can't I know. It's like I how Lynch wants to pretend that this movie doesn't exist. I want I to pretend that this image of Sting Wait, wait, wait. Exist. Have I, you I seen see... that image? No, I want to see this. You sure? Okay. Yes. Okay, hold All on. Right. Hold on. Give me a second. Hold on. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hit me. You sure? Hit, hit me. Okay. <laughs> ah, no. Okay, for yeah, those of you who are listening, we will share it on our group so you can. That, that metal bikini. Yeah. Ask for the message in a bottle. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we're yeah. going to share this in the group just in case you guys want to see it too. <laughs> Don't stand so close to him. <laughs> Feel my pain. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. There's like options. Oh my God. Why, he's why got, is he posing like that? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I guess this gets me more excited for the sequel to see who plays this and who wears that amazing underwear, sparkly underwear, <laughs> metallic leather, whatever. I don't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Well, speaking of images, I kind of want to forget. Well, not really. I mean, he played it really well, but Stellan Skarsgård as a Jabba the Hutt kind of motherfucker was kind of like traumatizing to me <laughs> I, actually yeah that, that, that image is kind of hard to shake especially the fact that he starts levitating he yeah like, and, and like how he eats hell, and man. stuff sobrang baboy niya kumain and it's like kumakain siya sa, sa, sa steam room niya it's like it's, it's like ooh. well he he plays a very effective villain to be to be honest yeah I mean he's amazing I mean, he, but you know just the imagery actor. of it yeah Mm-hmm. But I guess the image that they wanted to portray of him is just like, you, you know it's like my, Jabba the Hutt, but worse. I I felt that this is where a lot of um, Villeneuve's cinematic influences come into play because his reveal, his characterization is a lot like, um, yes, there are elements of Jabba the Hutt, but his actual reveal and the treatment of him was more like Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now, where he's mostly in shadow and it's just bits mm. by bits bit by bit they reveal how just actually disgusting and depraved this guy is in fact yeah. so St- Skarsgård was wearing like this 50 pound fat suit right which i hope doesn't offend anyone honestly at this point and um he actually requested like he wanted more nude scenes wow <laughs> because he's like you know this guy is so powerful he's so rich he doesn't give a fuck if you're offended he's gonna just let it all hang out He's just going to levitate with his junk in your face. You know, he doesn't care. So, huh. yes, um, he's like the love child of Jabba the Hutt and Colonel Kurtz. And it's just objectively disgusting, honestly. Yeah, which is, he, which is he perfect. He achieved that really goal. Had, yeah, I mean, they, they wanted to paint a very, you know, a villainous picture. So, you know, what what better way to do it than, you know, create a grotesque looking character. <laughs> and who's perfectly comfortable being naked around people. There's actually um, some segments of the internet now who are complaining why he had to be presented as such. Why couldn't he be good looking? Why couldn't he? Just because he's overweight, he's evil? Is that what we're saying? No. I mean, you really got the whole white savior trope in Overdrive with Chalamet, where he's going to go save these mixed people, from these mixed natives from their own backward selves with his superior whiteness. I I guess it also reflects his character of how, you know, how he doesn't care. He gets everything that he wants. So like, 
I think yeah. it's such a good depiction of oh, I overindulge. Mm, yeah, good one. Yeah, absolutely. the excess. Excess. Everything in excess. I don't mm-hmm. care. Like I don't even have to walk. Yeah, Levitate. I float. I'll float. Yeah, honestly, when he started, like, he flew up. I was like, a what? Hover thing too. You would have like a hover pack. You know, you would just like float around from room to room in the house. I would not if it's in my house. But if I was traveling and my feet were tired, that would be useful. <laughs> I like exercising. <laughs> like no, let's I, say I, 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 I would use the hover rig. I'm sorry to get a glass. <laughs> that is that is how that like is how the we... dog I would just hook up the leash to the hover thing and let it go. I, I would stay home and watch TV. That is wow. why we will all end up looking like people in Wally. <laughs> hover chairs. Hover chairs. Yeah, I ah. see your future, Misha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's an, a justification of why he had to look that way is because he he lives a life of overindulgence Mm-mm. and you know like I get what I want when I want mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. I think also that they wanted to um, make a distinct contrast against you know the thin, good-looking people in <laughs> House of Dreams. Very good. Wait. Such a beautiful family. I know. It's like, please adopt me. <laughs> Some of their servants, not so much. But, you know, them as the family, you could yeah. totally see that, you know, we were bred for this. But I guess yeah. it, it's really it's really old material. They had those tropes. That is true. Mm-hmm. Back then. So they're just the adapting. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. just adapting mm-hmm. it. But you really had you really had the setup of, of which house was, you know, presented as the good ones. Mm-hmm. Like from the, you know, like... I like how how it had to be neutral at first because, you know, when 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 Zendaya was the one in- introducing it, mm-hmm. like she was saying, um, like their oppressors, you know, when they left, welcome the new ones again. Right. And then you see you see the House of Trades like, and you see how the Duke would operate. Be like, no, uh, we're gonna do it. We're gonna focus on the people. We don't work. We don't force them to work we work with them it's like a eh, typical white savior thing exactly yeah. it was kind of awkward he was still talking like a colonial honestly a colonizer mm. colonizer yeah. so it was a, mm. it was uncomfortable for me watching um, Oscar Isaac interact with Javier Bardem oh yeah and like the whole cultural divide of like him mm-hmm. thinking spitting is an insult <laughs> oh, I yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I like the spit part though I was like <laughs> Cause, cause, yeah, like we, uh, it's now that you think about it. Yes, we are in a very moisture-deprived setting, so mm-hmm. that is actually a gift. It's a sign it's of respect. Absolutely. Yeah, and just how ab- absolutely offended Josh Brolin was. He's like, "Hey, <laughs> how dare you?" <laughs> yep, but I like that Oscar Isaac's guy was, you know, for the most part, for a colonizer. He was very <laughs> level-headed, and you know. He was presented as the good guy. We're supposed to sympathize with this colonizer who wants to rape this planet, but not with the <laughs> ugly guy who also wants to rape, continue yes. raping this planet, who previously part- raped this planet and wants to rape my, it again. My, my my cousin, who's who's a huge sci-fi sci-fi guy, has read the Dune books and saying like, he said, if you read the Harkonnen books, yes, there are books of House Atreides and books for House Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think going in which house is the good guy or the bad guy because in those books it, in all the books you'd see them all as neutral houses with own with their each of their own interests absolutely so mm. you know but i think that's also why going back to what you said earlier they had to paint um scars guard um head of house harkonnen uh, in as unflattering Negative a picture. light as possible so that we know instantly up oh, he's the bad guy because you know because we're horrible people. We just assume that anyone who's ugly is a bad guy. But yes, he's the bad mm-hmm. guy. Wasn't to... that the clue where you had this one guy shrouded in mist, you know, not even seeing his face? Like oh, Batman? He must be... <laughs> you hate Batman? Do you hate Batman? To be a he, I, he's I'm not just... naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he does not, you know, he does not have, you know, an entire court of uh, damsels and like, they're watching him in bathe. Well, I guess in this context, it's already so overloaded with information that it kind of doesn't want to confuse you anymore in terms of who to root for anymore. Mm-hmm. So at least visual cue, there you go. That's it. That's one less thing to process out of the many other bajillion things you need to know in this world. 
Fair enough, fair enough. You know what? Other seats I really enjoyed in this movie. Every time Rebecca Ferguson would use the voice. Oh, oh the voice! Yeah, the, the fucking voice. Yeah. Sorry. Like, okay, Jedi we know that Jedi mind tricks are fucking badass, but how David Villeneuve depicted what the voice was, that was fucking scary and amazing at the same time. Right. Yeah, I, it's like, I it's love like that. Gollum. It's like <laughs> Gollum's voice mixed with, you know, like a, a deep echoey voice. Like, what the fuck? Like Vin Diesel? <laughs> yeah. No. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But I don't know, like, especially that scene when, when they're in the Ornithopters. Ornithopters. <laughs> Ornithopters? They're or helicopters, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the, but where they were held Dragonfly captive. Dragonfly copters. Dragonfly copters. Where they were captive. Yeah, but then she was saying, like, you can't do it. You can't, in, in, in complete sign language, like, you can't mm-hmm. do it yet. You're not ready for this. And then when she gets herself free, like, stop, cut the rope, stab him in the face. I was like, whatever. That was fucking badass. <laughs> that was, that was like, so one of the best cool. scenes in this movie. Yeah, like, that was so fucking I could, cool. Man, I, I could just rewatch the entire movie just for that scene. Yeah, that, like that all, like, the voice thing. This is the voice. Put- <laughs> no. no, maling voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, that, that was a really cool element to it. That mm-hmm. th- that whole um, female fellowship with the, these mysterious powers and yep. the the voice and uh, and how Timothy Chalamet actually wasn't supposed to learn it because you know they only teach it to the women. Yeah, I actually like. How how Rebecca Ferguson was saying your pitch was off. You came off too strong. We're like, whoa, there's actual training. It's like singing. Actually, this I want to. I want to see how Denny Villeneuve fleshes out that story point because cool. you know, fine, he is a space white savior trope, but he's also been genetically created specifically to be the white space savior trope um, from a bloodline that's been traditionally female um, mm-hmm. in 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 their the the, the the members that have the power. So you can see that in that scene with the box where, you know. What's um, in the box? He's Your treated hand. with skepticism just because, you know, he's treated skepticism because Space Savior is not supposed to have a penis. So that's why he's got to stick his hand in that box. And the fact that he actually has some aspects of the voice, um, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see how Villeneuve's, um fleshes it out. Because now he's got to win over the natives at the end of this movie and, you know, turn them to his cause to fight back the other white oppressors. Because mm-hmm. he's a good white oppressor. Oh God, the white savior trope is just, there's no winning. Yeah, there's no escaping it really. But if there's anything this film did, it's really hype us up for whatever is coming next. So I think that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Yep. And now that the sequel's been greenlit, well, let's see where this goes. So like, okay, we've talked about some of the things we like, talked about some of the things we didn't like. What would you do differently? Let's say they gave you the director's chair tomorrow. Let's make Hi the... Roger Deakins! I knew it! I was gonna I was gonna try and beat <laughs> I didn't you even to the let punch. You finish. I'm sorry. I, I, I was gonna try and MJ wanna give an end. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though, okay, I am again Watch I am... it with Misha and remember that I watched it with Misha. <laughs> Thank you. You I I am appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you. That's what I would do differently. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. No shade to Greg Fraser. It was amazing work. But if you've just already seen Villeneuve's work with Deacons, mm, this didn't necessarily give me as iconic shots as, let's say, Blade Runner 2049 with... You, you have these certain shots that really stick your brain that that shot with Anna Diarmas as this whole digital girl in mm-hmm, pink and mm-hmm. blue. Yep. Also Ryan Gosling, um, you know, treading through <laughs> these huge statues, and the lighting there was amazing. And you know, Roger Deakins and his amazing play on light and shadow and silhouettes. That would have just been the cherry on top for me. But otherwise, Damn, as con. Because I can't really think of like an iconic shot here. I mean, all of them were pretty, but mm-hmm. were any of them iconic? Mm-hmm. Well, the gathering when the announcement of it wasn't iconic. It's just you mean the Nazi pretty. gathering? No, not the Nazi gathering. When they when <laughs> House of Trades was, was. Ass- <laughs> no, when House of Trades was assembled to meet with the uh, envoy of the emperor. 
to take that the role. That was pretty. Yes, it, it was actually pretty, but still not at that, that level, the, I was saying. Yeah, you're right. That was the closest thing to iconic. Mm-hmm. So, you know. this is all because I have the ability to compare. That's only because I have something to compare it with. But if I just didn't compare, period, I liked it. And I guess they condensed what they could have in this totally dense world into like two hours and 30 minutes plus whatever is going to happen still, in the sequel. Oh yeah. so, That's still pretty long. Yeah, it's still pretty <laughs> long, but I wasn't overwhelmed. I wasn't lost. So it's, yeah. that counts for something. As a non-sci-fi fan already, so it's fine. I, I, I knew coming in what I was going to get myself into. So, But the first thing I did was when I played the movie was check the scrub how long the entire thing was. Cause <laughs> I do was that like, too. Oh, Oh crap! It's almost it's you know it's two and a quarter hours long. It's so long, but it I, I don't know. I just appreciated how how he built the world. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't really feel that long to me because I paid attention, like really paid attention to this movie. And if my wife paid attention to it because she normally uses her phone, that means she that, that means wow. the movie is good. Wow. I love you, babe. You, you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, Wait. you gotta unpack something here. In the next episode Pasta. of Sober Tours, minus Anja. Lagot. No, no, no. She won't <laughs> deny it. Though, like, sci-fi really is not her thing. Like, I, you know, I I would go through so much arguments, not arguments. I would go through so much convincing just to get her to watch a sci-fi movie or a sci-fi series. You know, like if I tell her, oh, let's watch this. It's sci-fi. Oh, you go ahead. I'll watch it. Uh, I'll watch something else. You know, since you know we're stuck at home and we can do use different streaming platforms. So there. <laughs> but this one, she was game. Like she, she decided to watch it, and she paid, she paid attention. Like and she really liked the movie. But one thing I would change. One thing I would change probably a little folk. I, I don't know if it's possible, but maybe we might see it in the sequel. A little more focus on the characterizations because I agree with the both of you that it kind of lacked focus in that area. But then again, there's just so much to go about with the orig- with the source material that maybe they had to spend some time trying to build the world so people could understand what the situation was in in that universe. You know, specifically in Arrakis. Well, for for my part, you know, um, what I said earlier, I have no issues with dystopian futures. I have no issues with talky sci-fi. I mean, you know, I I grew up on Star Trek, so talky sci-fi is my jam. But um, what I was just missing here was um, characters that I could latch on to. Not necessarily like, not necessarily fall in love with, but I just wanted to feel something for the characters. And if I had a chance to redo it like if they, they made me remake this movie tomorrow that that's where i would put the money um, i would spend a little more time fleshing out the characters to just let us know why we should care um mm-hmm. besides the intergalactic politics and colonial overtones and um, amazing amazing visuals i'll, I'll give it that the, uh, you know it's not deacons i'm sorry mj but <laughs> it looks okay. fucking amazing the, the blend of it cgi does. and physical effects here is just brilliant the choice of shots uh, the production design the costumes all of it is just top notch and honestly i think everybody should fucking see this on the biggest screen that they can yes Um, yes and um, i want to know what their reaction is honestly when Mm -hmm. this thing opens in cinemas here on november 10 10 Yes, so I'm also thinking, like, do I want to risk it? We'll see. We'll think about it. But if you've seen it, don't forget to let us know. We have a Facebook group, Saboteurs We Like Movies. You can share your thoughts there. And we will share this link, I guess, there and find the photo of Sting if you really, really want to see it. (laughs) Or anything related to this podcast at all. So go check it out. Just look it up. Saboteurs We Like Movies. And we have also got Instagram. Instagram.com slash sub underscore auteurs. For any suggestions, you can check us out dun. (laughs) Mother of God. Can I just say thank you for closing Because I, for once, I didn't have to try and do it with the two of you. Damn it! Do it, please do it. No, I want to sing Spice of Your Life. Why did I just know that's the song you were going to choose? Because she's been singing it. Because she's been singing it. Let's do it over with Misha, please. I want to sing. Well, I'm sorry. You had your chance. Fine.
Damn it. Until the next episode, we are the Subway Viewers. She really had to force it in. This has been our episode on Denny Villeneuve's Dune 2021. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. We look forward to seeing you next week in our next episode. Until then, we are your hosts. I'm Nisha. Hey, see ya. Hold tight. That's MJ. Name Andrew. Ha ha ha!